Well, welcome, church family. Uh, glad that you could come and join us for worship today. Uh, for those of you who are the first time or you're visiting, welcome. I'm really glad if you're tuning in for the first time. Thank you for joining us. We are in the middle of a series, and it's a series called Bless. And what Bless is, is simply this. It's a plan for us as believers in Jesus Christ to share our faith with others. Because we have good news. We have the hope of Christ that the world needs to know. And sometimes it's confusing on how we share that, what it looks like. Um, and bless is a real authentic and organic way to do so. And so thinking about bless, even this week I was talking to, uh, to somebody in the church office. And they told me about how their, their daughter went to school and had uh, a moment with a classmate who was really struggling. And came home and said, Mom, what do I do? How do I talk to this person? They need Christ. And she said, said, oh, well, we do this blessed thing at church. And she she got this plan already in her head that was easy to transfer. And so they began praying, and they had a clear path on how to, how to minister to somebody. And so really, that's what bless is. And so we've talked about the first letter in bless two weeks ago, which was begin with prayer. And prayer is really what aligns our hearts and our mind and, and everything about us to the mission of God. It's a missional practice that we, we pray for people that we care about. We pray for people that may be needing the Savior and don't, don't know Him and have that conversation. And so prayer is uh, diligently uh, something that we do as followers of Christ. The next one is L, and that's listen. And that is simply to listen intently. Because we live in a world where most people spend their time talking and very few listen. And so to listen to somebody really is a gift. It's an opportunity to care for somebody by hearing their heart, not just preparing what you're going to say next. And so listening is a really important practice when it comes to bless. And today we're going to talk about E, which is experiencing life together. Uh, and also just thinking about evangelism and thinking about this process and thinking about experiencing life together, I want to point out that we have 17 first-time commitments to Christ at the FCA camp for the boys' soccer this week. Isn't that fantastic? Let's praise God for that. It is always just an amazing opportunity when we get the chance to present the gospel, and those coaches and those FCA leaders did so because they got to experience life with the boys that came through that soccer camp. Uh, as we begin, would you bow with me as we pray? Heavenly Father, I, I lift up to you this morning. I lift up to you uh, the next few minutes that we have together to spend a look at your word uh, that we've already been able to worship and pour our hearts out in admiration of you. Lord, may we engage our minds now, and may our minds be tuned to what you are saying, Lord, not my words, but to your words through your holy scriptures. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. It was the summer of 2009. And I had been given tickets to the PGA Championship in Hazeltine. Huge golf fan. I love playing. I love watching it. Uh, golf's just one of those sports that I, I feel like I have time to think. And uh, it's just I enjoy being outside. So very easy to receive those tickets. I had to convince my church to give me a Sunday off. But I went to the game. And I watched the round of golf, the last round, and it was Tiger Woods in his prime, and it was Y.E. Yang, an up-and-coming South Korean man who actually became the first Asian man to win a championship on the pro golf tour. 
And we were coming down the home stretch the last few holes. These guys were battling it out. It was an intense golf match. And watching this take place, uh, I got to one hole, and I really wanted to see, uh, after the tee shot, I wanted to see their next fairway shot, their approach on this par four. And so I, I got as close as I could, but it was still like 10 people deep all around the fairway, all the way up to the tee box and the green. There's people everywhere. And obviously, that's a challenge for me <laughs> to see people from over the crowd. So I saw a tree, and I proceeded to notice that the lower branch was easily accessible. And so I, I got up, you know, branch or two, just kind of looking around to see if any of the uh, you know, volunteers who kind of drop the hammer on you, if you talk or you do anything wrong at the golf course, there's people there, and they watch you. And so I kind of snuck up there, and everyone was so intent on watching the golfers, no one noticed. So I watched as Tiger Woods and Yang came walking down that fairway. I mean, both of them had the game face on, and they were intent. Sat up in that tree, and I could see over the crowd. I saw everyone, and I saw Tiger Woods. He approached his ball, and he stopped. He looked up at me, and he said, Dave, after this is done, I'm going to play a round of golf with you. <laughs> okay, that didn't happen. I was at the tournament, and I did see him from a tree. But then my pastor mind started thinking. That, how absurd that moment would have been if Tiger called me by name from a huge crowd when everyone was focusing on him. That's precisely what happened when Jesus called out Zacchaeus, right? Because Jesus was in a crowd. It, every eye and every focus of attention was on to him. And Zacchaeus was just trying to get a view of the Savior and had never met him, didn't know him personally. And Jesus called him by name and pointed to him and said, Zacchaeus, <laughs> come into your house today. That just blew my mind because I finally got a picture of what that might have been like if, in fact, Tiger Woods actually did it, which he didn't, unfortunately. But Jesus did that to Zacchaeus. It's just wild to think about that. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 19. And I, I want to, uh, you can open your Bibles to it if you have it, if you want to look in the app. Um, but before I get into that, I want to set up what's happening in Luke chapter 19, so you get a feel for what's going on in the text behind the text. And so here's what's happening. Uh, Jericho is a big commerce city. Uh, you have Capernaum to the north is a major trade route in Israel at this time. You have Caesarea in the central part of Israel, closer to the coast. And then you have Jericho to the south. And if you're familiar at all with the Bible, you've read the Old Testament, you understand that Jericho used to be the city that Joshua marched around. And then the walls came crumbling down as they went in to conquest the land. And so this had been rebuilt and was now named the City of Palms because it was a huge, lush garden city fed with aquifers that were just causing flowers to grow and really this entire city to bloom. And so it was a massive garden city. It was also 17 miles to the northeast of Jerusalem at the bottom of the hill. So if you wanted to go to Jerusalem, you had to climb the hill to get there. And Jericho was the last most obvious rest stop on the way there. So it was very likely that Jesus and his disciples were going to enter Jerusalem by going through Jericho, passing through up into Jerusalem, because it was a place for them to rest, uh, to get some supplies, and then continue on their journey. Also noticing the fact that this is Passover time, so there are thousands of people flooding through this city, so it would have been busy. So when you see the text talk about the crowd, it was a massive swelling crowd of great number of people. 
And then there's Zacchaeus. Uh, many of you maybe have been in Sunday school and you sang the song, Zacchaeus was a wee little man. I, I take great offense to that song in particular for obvious reasons. Uh, that word we should never uh, come out of your mouth when it comes to people of short stature. But it did in that song, of course, and I always felt bad in Sunday school singing it. But this was Zacchaeus, right? He was a man of short stature, a concentrated man. He was a wealthy Jewish man. Uh, He was of Jewish descent, but he was also aligned with the Romans. And this was a problem because the Romans essentially had governmental control and told the Jews what to do and exacted tax on them. And so Zacchaeus was a man who basically knew the rate the Romans needed to collect, and he upped it so that whatever the difference was, he would collect himself. And since he was a chief tax collector, he was at the top of a multi-level marketing scheme. (laughs) He had a lot of people under him collecting tax, and he oversaw them and collected from them and collected from himself in a major trade area. So you can imagine that he had a lot of money. And he was disliked right? He wasn't a Roman, so the Romans probably didn't treat him well. Of course, they wanted their money. Uh, But he was a Jew, but the Jews didn't quite treat him well. He didn't belong there either because of the fact that he collected money for the enemy. So you have Zacchaeus, who, who likely would have been a very lonely individual. And you can imagine climbing the tree, uh, what he might be thinking about Jesus. Uh, Two weeks prior to this, when Jesus uh, was in Bethany, he had raised Lazarus from the dead. So we have a situation, a crowd, they're anticipating Jesus doing something big. They have seen him, heard him, they're expecting something. And then there's Zacchaeus, who really isn't a Roman and has been cast out from the Jews and just trying to get a glimpse of the Savior. And that's what's happening here in Luke chapter 19. So let's look starting at verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, Has he gone to be the guest of a sinner? But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possession to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. And Jesus said to him, Salvation has come to this house today. Because this man too is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Powerful words in a powerful story. So Jesus, as he approached the tree, (laughs) you know what he had to be thinking. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. So only one thought went through his mind as he saw Zacchaeus. This is a man I must go and spend time with. Um, I love thinking about Jesus this way because he is absolutely missional. In fact, in this text, he uses imperatives. They weren't suggestions. It wasn't like, well, 
maybe I'll go see Zacchaeus, or maybe, uh, maybe we can have supper later, or let's set up a coffee date, or have your uh, you know, tax collector talk to my disciple, and we'll set something up. It wasn't like that. He said, Zacchaeus, I must come to your house today. There wasn't a middle ground. There was no wavering. He was determined with a divine intentionality to go and spend time with Zacchaeus. The other thing that's important to note here is that Zacchaeus uh, climbed a sycamore tree. Now, why is that interesting? Because sycamore trees were not specific to that particular area, and they were an outsider tree. It was an outsider biological tree that they brought in, and they planted in there because it was a city of gardens, and I'm sure people brought trees from all over, and so it wasn't native. So you get an outsider in Zacchaeus climbing a tree that's an outsider in the city. Uh, Kind of fascinating how God does some things super intentional when you really start looking at it. And Jesus did something fascinating because he used an open declarative statement here. Why is that so interesting? Because in doing so, he was greatly offending everyone who was there. So in this moment, Jesus was saying things to the crowd that would have, and he knew that would have, offended them. Because teachers of the law did not go spend time as the guest of a sinner. It was common knowledge. Everyone knew that. And they were on their way to Jerusalem, to the Passover. There was a lot of thought about purity and becoming pure to enter the holy city and the time of the year and what that was looking like. And and so for them to see Jesus doing this, it was blasphemy. You you don't do that. That's not what what teachers of the law do. It's somebody's self-proclaimed Messiah. But, But he did. And so they started to mutter. The crowd did. Zacchaeus, on the other hand, he received Jesus gladly. Now that tells something about Zacchaeus' heart, that his heart was in a position to receive Jesus, that he didn't immediately say, well, there's Zacchaeus over here. No, he received Jesus gladly into his home at that moment. And he spent time with them. I'm, I'm curious as to what happened between verse 7 and verse 8. So in verse 7, it says, All the people saw this and began to mutter. But then there's this gap of time that happens where Jesus has spending some time in a shared experience with Zacchaeus. And at this moment, the text does not tell us what Jesus said to Zacchaeus. Didn't say anything. You have to assume that Jesus had conversation with Zacchaeus and they, they met together and they hung out because it was immediately that Zacchaeus said, but Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. So the something happened in the dialogue between Jesus and Zacchaeus that led to radical transformation in the heart of this man. And the Bible doesn't tell us what that was. And part of me as a pastor is like, I really want to know exactly what Jesus said to Zacchaeus to cause this life transformation. Because don't we want a formula? (laughs) Don't we want to know how to talk to people about our faith that leads to a conversion? That leads to them knowing the Lord and Savior of our lives so that they might have the same hope and joy? Of course we do. But here, the only thing that we see is that Jesus practiced reverse hospitality. He just spent time with him. And the evidence of the transformation in Zacchaeus, uh, the standard was, if you go back to the Old Testament, that if you cheat somebody out of something, you pay back twice as much. Zacchaeus doubled down on everything, which was a sign that his heart had fully changed. When he used the word Lord, Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord 
and God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved? Zacchaeus said, Lord, but he didn't stop there. He then took his actions and paid out his wealth to the poor and to those that he cheated. So there was great evidence of Zacchaeus' heart change, not only in his words, but also in his action. There was radical change. But this story truly does speak to the mission of Jesus. What is the mission of Jesus? The mission of Jesus is this. It's to seek and to save the lost. If you were to take one verse in the New Testament and read it back into the entire biblical narrative of of the Old and New Testament, this is the verse you'd want to do that with. Because God is a lost seeker, and he sent Jesus to prove the point. Stoic philosopher Seneca said in the first century AD, begin with the end in mind. Jesus walked through that that crowd, and he knew where he was going. He was headed to Jerusalem, where he would be crucified. He knew this was the direction he was going, but he was still so mission-focused that he was scanning the crowd, obviously, and seeing the people in the trees. And he saw Zacchaeus, and he understood that he had to, he had to seek and save the lost, because that is the heart of God. That's what Zacchaeus had to do. There was no option for God to to do anything but have Jesus invite himself to the house of Zacchaeus so that Zacchaeus could know the God of hope. God is a lost seeker from the very beginning when Adam and Eve were in the garden uh, and they sinned and they fell. God did not leave them alone. (laughs) He called out to them, hey, where are you, Adam and Eve? Where, Where are you? He knew where they are. But he was looking for them because he wanted to bring them back into relationship with him. And see, that's the heart of God. It goes into when the people of God in Israel, in Deuteronomy 32, the people of God became the inheritance of God, his chosen people. And that chosen people had some great mountaintop experiences. (laughs) Moses and the Ten Commandments. They had times of great national pride and glory. And they had low valleys when they did not seek and follow God. And finally, God sent people to be the shepherd of Israel, but they failed at their job. And so in Ezekiel 34, verse 16, God gives a very important and significant prophetic statement here. And he says this, I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak, but the sleek and the strong I will destroy. I will shepherd the flock with justice. So why did Jesus tell Zacchaeus, I must stay at your house? Because Jesus, as God, had to. (laughs) He had no other option. It was all him wanting to do and be on mission to seek and save the lost. And his method was intentionally personal. His method was intentionally personal. Notice he didn't just stop the crowd and say, hey, Zacchaeus, um, in the tree over there, yeah, you, uh, you just need to be in a right relationship with God, so why don't you just uh, confess that I'm Lord and Savior, and then you go and, and then sell your possessions and give stuff to the poor. He didn't do that. You know what he did first? <laughs> Called him out, went over to his house. That's what he did. And in spending time with Zacchaeus, Salvation came to that house in a powerful way because it was personal. Um, when I was in, in college, uh, I met a girl uh, who's now my wife, and we got to know each other a little bit through a shared acquaintance, and I followed her around campus. Some people call that stalking. I call it research. 
And I watched where she went, I saw who she hung out with, I got to know her, and then I signed up for a missions trip that she was going on. And let me, let me tell you this, if all I did was just watch my soon-to-be wife from afar, our relationship would have gone nowhere. But see, I got into her world, and we served together down in Mexico uh, and spent some just meaningful days at an orphanage down there doing ministry, being the hands and feet of Jesus. And it was a powerful time where I really did see her heart for people and fell in love with her, and, and she fell in love with me. But you see, it's shared experience. It's when you get intentionally personal like that, that you spend time with people, that changes things, doesn't it? And that's what Jesus did. Whether it's, in my case, in this instance, it was a romantic relationship, but even friendships or family relationships or, or your neighbors, when you spend time with people, personally spend time with people, it's a vehicle that God uses to do some very powerful and impactful things in the lives of those people we spend time with. It, it really is that simple. That part of the blessed strategy is not about trying to convert somebody to, to a, a set of doc, a thesis and an idea and an argument. No, it's, of course you share the gospel, but it's, it's just about being with somebody personally. Jesus demonstrated this in John chapter 4, verse 9. And he said this, he was at, uh, going through Samaria, and Samaria was a place that the Jews didn't travel because it was an outcast area. Uh, the people that were there were half Jew, half Gentile, and so the Jews, they were not pierced, they didn't go there. And Jesus, of course, coming to seek and save the lost, intentionally went to Samaria. And not only that, but he went to the well in the middle of the day to find a woman who was there drawing water. And in that instance, in that culture, men did not just approach women like that. But again, unusual, but personal. Jesus was very intentional. And so he went to this woman, and the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? You see, it started with a request for a cup of water. It started with that, that conversation of, of, hey, can I, can I share a little water with you right now? Can I spend some time with you? That intentionally personal act of, of just sitting down and having a cup of coffee with somebody about sharing a meal, it just, it does something between people. And Jesus knew this, he understood it, and he pursued it, and he did so with this woman. Highly unusual, but incredibly personal. Jesus sought out people to experience life with, and really, if we are to be his disciples, we ought to experience life with people too, as a means to share our faith and our hope in Jesus Christ with them. Our job is to seek others. If we're really to be like Jesus, our job is to seek others. Uh, why is this so important to say? Well, if you've been practicing the blessed series of material at all, uh, you've begun praying for individuals within a circle, a group of people that you know uh, need the hope in Christ, and so you prayed for them. Uh, did this one time uh, uh, several years back when we were doing some, a similar campaign at a previous church that I pastored at, and I was driving home from church that Sunday, very convicted about praying for one of my neighbors. So I began praying for them and praying for an opportunity to share the gospel with them, kind of arguing with God about how this was going to go. Um, like, God, I really don't know how to begin this conversation. You just need to set it up. <laughs> kind of half thinking, I just have to do the awkward work of introducing myself and having this conversation. I'm pulling into my driveway and my neighbors are standing in my front doorway talking to my wife. 
like, okay, God, clearly you're working in this moment right now, and you're setting this whole thing up. And so I went up to him, and I said, hey, you know, how are you guys doing? And kind of thinking, okay, God, we're just leading. You know, they're there. I was just praying for them. No idea. Uh, obviously, God's up to something. And they just said, hey, we, we know you're a pastor. We met you before. They just moved into the neighborhood. Would you do our wedding? And without even thinking about it, I said, only if you let me do your counseling. And for the next six weeks, I had an opportunity to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this couple and open the Bible and and open my life and my family's life to them so they could see who Jesus was. And it really was as simple as praying, listening to them, as we talked about last week with uh, with, uh, listening, and then experiencing life. They came to see and know the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ simply through a shared experience because God calls us to seek people. He calls us to be like his son whose great mission was to seek and to save the lost. It's about seeing people differently because how easy is it for us to go through life and look at the crowds and miss the people in the trees? We do this sometimes, that we get so caught up in things going on. This was me yesterday. <laughs> I had a great opportunity to practice reverse hospitality because my neighbors have a pool next door, and it was hot out. So I'm like, great, this is a perfect opportunity to do this. And I was out working in my yard, and I'm thinking, okay, kind of arguing with God. Well, I got to get my chores done. I got to, and, and I just said, you know what? I'm just going to stop what I'm doing, and I'm going to go spend some time and talk with my neighbors. And it's as simple as that. It's as simple as letting God give you those opportunities and just stepping into it and being with people and just sharing your life with those who are around you. That's what it means to experience life with others. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul says this, So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. Do you see others humanly or do you see others spiritually? Are you looking at people not on their height, not on a skin color, not on a socioeconomic status, not, on a, not even based on what they do or how they speak, but are you really evaluating people based on how God evaluates people? And really, there are only two nationalities when it comes to God. It's those who know him and are a part of his family and those who don't. We're the ones who draw up all the different boundaries when it comes to people. But God goes after the lost because that's who he seeks. And once you see others in this light, the next logical thing to do is to share experiences. Uh, in, the, in the pew in front of you, there's these cards and online. You can find this on our website as well. Um, this is the challenge for this week. It's, it's find people to have shared experiences with. It could be as simple as a dinner, barbecue in your yard, uh, going for a walk with a neighbor if you see them out walking, uh, spending time maybe playing some lawn games. I mean, the second you set out corn toss in your backyard and, and you see your neighbor, invite them over to play a game or something. Uh, include others and in maybe a family celebration. A real practical one here at the very end is invite someone to the Cochran and Company concert that's happening here at our church on June 13th. In fact, Go pick up a ticket for somebody you want to invite. Just say, hey, come with me. Be a part of this. But as we share experiences with others, it gives us a great vehicle in order to share Jesus through our lives and with our words. Um, This has probably happened to many of you as you've driven before, but have you ever had that moment where somebody cuts you off and you're like, man, that guy just blew through the stop sign, or that gal just, you know, almost hit me because she was switching lanes, and, and you just get that, that moment of tension and frustration. 
And then you start following that person because they ironically are going to the same place that you are, and then they pull into the church parking lot, and then it's kind of that sheepish, awkward moment of like, I hope they don't see me. Um, But isn't it true that when you start to understand somebody, judgment goes away? That, that before, that person, you didn't know who it was, did something that offended you, but as soon as you realize that's somebody that you've prayed with before, or somebody who you've shared life before, or sat next to at church, then all of a sudden, the tension and that anxiety and that anger that you had starts to melt, because shared experiences kill judgment. I can't even tell you how many times when somebody asks me my profession and says, what do you do for a living? And, and I'm hesitant to tell them I'm a pastor because it just really makes the conversation awkward, especially if they've been swearing up to that point. <laughs> they apologize. I'm like, no, don't. I'm not the one you're held accountable to, right? <laughs> but you just spend time knowing somebody and then our opinions of people change and there builds trust and vulnerability. And then those become the bridges that we walk across that people can say, wow, you're, you're just a person like I am, but you have something different. I was at a funeral this weekend for a 16-year-old girl, knew her and the family, and the family loves Jesus Christ. And they told me, if it was not for Christ, we would not be able to get through these moments. But it's our hope in Christ and that tailors with Jesus. And seeing and experiencing that, people I'm sure came in who didn't know Christ, but have shared experiences with that family, the only thing they heard is the gospel. Because this family exuded the hope they had in Christ in this moment. And that's the door that's open to us. Uh, One more passage in Scripture here, Luke 24. So Jesus, the resurrected Lord and Savior, was with his disciples, and he was walking with a couple of them uh, down the road to Emmaus. And this is after he was resurrected, not too, too long after. Now, the same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that had happened, about the crucifixion of Jesus. They didn't know about the resurrection at this point. These ones didn't. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. <laughs> Notice what the text doesn't say. Didn't come up and, and say, I'm the risen Lord! He didn't come up to him and say, believe in me. This is what happened. I'm, I'm resurrected. He, he came up and he walked with them and he shared a little bit of his life. He asked questions and listened to them. And then when he broke bread with them, their eyes were open and they saw Jesus for who he was. And so that's my challenge to you is who's in your circle? Who is in a circle of people that you would say are those you intentionally and missionally want to invite into your life? so that you can share experience with them the same way that Jesus shares experiences with people in order to lead them to God. Because we're given opportunities, pray for them. Jesus, I promise you, if you pray for opportunities, God will give you opportunities because these things are so close to his heart. These are the mission of Jesus Christ. And he's blessed us to be a blessing to other people. All we have to do is step into it and be a blessing. Would you bow with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, I just thank you that you gave us a plan. You showed us your life through Jesus, and you gave us a real tangible plan for us to show others you. 
And Lord, may we step into that. May we not have those moments of hesitation, but may we have the courage at the right moments to make an invitation, <laughs> to practice reverse hospitality, to, to get into somebody's life and, and authentically and organically be in a relationship with somebody that can see you in us. So Lord, may you give those opportunities to everyone here at this church, those online, those in the patio, and all of us who would call ourselves disciples of Jesus. Pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.